The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, Tom. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Have an easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, oh, that's a very good question. Uh, hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky thing, Mr. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor-comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom, how are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon... They will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold the Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. And welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the second hour of our three-hour tour known as the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is, uh, let's see if I, I want to make sure and get this right, the um, senior policy scientist at the Center for Science in the Public Interest. Her name is Sarah John. We're going to talk about supermarkets and what to expect this holiday season. Um, Sarah John. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Tom. Delighted to be here. Um, what's scientific about supermarkets? Yeah, well, <laughs> you know. <laughs> oh, well, um, many people think of supermarkets as this neutral environment. Um, and I, I first must say, you know, of course, stating that grocery stores are really critical in communities across the country. Um, and they actually provide Americans with two-thirds of their daily calories. Um, and so with this in mind, uh, you know, it's important that we're ensuring that Americans have access to the grocery stores, but also that those grocery stores are providing access to healthy foods. So I would say there's a, a science in ensuring that there's that critical access for Americans to grocery stores, but there's also um, a science at work 
behind the way that grocery stores are laid out. Um, and so when you're looking to, into the grocery store, there's millions of dollars that food manufacturers are paying supermarkets and food retailers to place products uh, really strategically around the store to make, make sure that the customers are buying um, these, unfortunately, tending to be ultra-processed and sugar-laden foods that you're seeing at eye level, at the ends of aisles, um, at checkout lanes, and uh, in displays at the front of the store. My so this problem is some of the kind of consumer behavior science that we're interested in when it comes to supermarkets. Well, my my problem in, in, is I am a sucker for all of those things on end caps and up at the checkout counter. You know, I go to the store. I go to the store with one thing in mind, and then a hundred and fifty dollars later, I'm hauling stuff out to my car said you're not alone um that there's a reason that food manufacturers and soda companies are paying again millions of dollars um every year to place their products they know it's you're more likely to buy it if it's in these really um prominent areas and so actually that's why the center for science and the public interest just launched our newest campaign which is the keep soda in the soda aisle campaign so we're asking food retailers and beverage manufacturers to acknowledge the fact that Americans don't actually want to be purchasing more of these products. We actually conducted a poll recently and found that 82% of Americans want a healthier grocery shopping experience. And we even found some stronger results when it came to parents that shop with their kids, finding that 77% of parents would actually change to switch to a grocery store where there's only soda in one place. And so, you know, that's why we're making this um, this ask to retailers and food companies to really listen to their consumers, listen to their customers, and keep soda in the soda aisle and not be tempting them at every turn. But shopping has been impacted dramatically by, by the pandemic and now more recently from supply chain shortages and, and inflation. And, and in the wake of the pandemic, I think, I, I know our house has gotten um, sort of hooked on on delivery, and and we're enjoying having things delivered to us from the supermarket, which dramatically changes the experience because usually it starts with you know an online uh, ordering process, and so you 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 don't really get impacted by those impulse buys that you make. Um, did that come up as, as you were looking into this, Sarah, that, that, that people are buying groceries differently? And, and also, when you're concerned about health, there's a big difference going through the produce department in a supermarket and picking out celery online. Definitely, and Tom, you, you nailed it. The way we buy food has dramatically shifted, and our food system more broadly has been deeply impacted by the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, as you've mentioned, uh, there are uh, online grocery sales, including on online, uh, then grocery delivery has risen dramatically through 
uh, third-party services like Instacart, but also um, integrated pro uh, delivery programs within grocery retailers. And so while um, you're not walking into the store and seeing the large Coca-Cola display or maybe the Pepsi products as you're leaving the checkout line um, and getting tempted to make that impulse purchase, as you mentioned, there actually are some strategies that are shifting into the online marketplace that are trying to get at some of these same impulse purchases. Um, so for example, there might be uh, search ordering. So you might type in um, potatoes. Maybe you're wanting to make some mashed potatoes for Thanksgiving, and potato chips might pop up at the top of that search uh, just because um, maybe Frito-Lay or another company has paid to make sure that their, um, unfortunately, ultra-processed product is at the top of that list. Um, you also see things like different pop-up ads that are going across your screen. Um, and then also, you know, uh, our CSPI um, has been a leader in food policy over the past 50 years and has been a champion for things like the Nutrition Labeling and Education Act, which made sure that there's nutrition facts panels on all packaged goods and actually helped lead the efforts to reformulate that um, more recently. However, we don't, those, that uh, bill, that policy did not um, take into account where food shopping was shifting and food marketing was shifting. And so you can go online and even though nutrition facts panels are required on products, it might be missing online um, a key ingredient, allergen, and uh, nutrition facts information. And so that's one thing that the Center for Science and the Public Interest is pushing for um, in the upcoming Food Labeling Modernization Act that we're supporting. Sarah, tell me a little bit about the Center for Science and the Public Interest. What What is it and what is its its mission? Yeah, so um, we, the Center for Science and the Public Interest is a consumer advocacy group. And we really consider ourselves to be food, um, America's food and nutrition watchdog. So over the past 50 years, CSPI has really been a driving force behind many of the major food policy advances in our country. Um, I mentioned the Nutrition Facts Panel. Um, we are also critical in the banning of trans fats from our food system. We also work tirelessly to ensure the passage of the Healthy and Hunger-Free Kids Act that improves the nutrition of school meals that are served to over 30 million kids a day. And we're also working hard to ensure the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, at providing healthier options as well. Um, and as I'm talking here today, making sure there's a healthy, healthier food retail environment available to all American, um, all Americans. And specifically about food. Yes. So um, we're we're laser focused on on food and nutrition. Um, what with the end goal, of course, of making sure that Americans lead longer and healthier, happier lives. Um, what what is the science? used in setting up policies uh, for the public interest? Yeah, so, um, you know, we always say that we are an organization that we say science first, policy second. So we're really making sure that when we're advocating for a policy, that there is that robust evidence um, that's, that's established prior to advocating for that change. Um, so, you know, we'll make sure, and we have a good grasp, we have an entire science team, um, you know, full of PhDs and research professionals um, that are able to uh, make sure and 
you know, not only I'd say be a part of and fund research, but be abreast of all of the all of the current emerging evidence, and making sure that we're advocating for policies that we know are going to be um, that are really going to create impact, um, and not just impact, but also you know a, another core value of ours is is improving equity, and so ensuring that. BIPOC communities um, and other Americans that are at greater risk for nutrition-related health disparities uh, are, are impacted positively by the policies that we advocate for. And, and who's doing the, uh, the research um, and, and coming up with the conclusions that you, um, that you draw from? So we, we work with a, a wide team of researchers from with across academic institutions across the country. Um, you know, we do have scientists on our staff. I have my PhD in food policy and nutrition, and so and you know have the capacity to to look at and understand and even and create research protocols and designs. But we also know that there are many capable uh, professors and academics across the country. That are, and as well as community-based organizations that are diving in deeper and getting an understanding of, you know, community-centered approaches for creating positive policy change. But we work with like uh, researchers and community-based organizations across the country to really understand the leading evidence, um, and also making sure that when I think a big part of what CSPI does is that research is designed to maximize policy impact, and so making sure that. As we're looking to the upcoming farm bill that is going to determine, you know, way a trillion dollars will be spent in our food system, that we're answering research questions that are going to help make healthier choices easier for Americans. Well, I, I raised that issue because used to be you could just put science in the title and people would trust it, but that, that, that isn't true so much anymore. Oh, uh, yeah, you know, I think that there's a, unfortunately a large wave of misinformation out there. Um, but as I mentioned, you know, CSPI, again, we're really starting from an area of evidence, and we're also working to build evidence. So as I mentioned, with our Keep Soda and the Soda Isle campaign, you know, we are building this campaign based off of many years of behavioral economic research that shows that when these products, um, whether it's sugary drinks or ultra-processed foods, are placed in these prominent locations, as we talked about, ends of aisles, checkout lanes, displays. Um, and actually, CSPI conducted a study that found that there were sugary drinks in an average of 30 places in Washington, D.C. grocery stores. And in some <laughs> stores, that was up to 59 places. So again, literally everywhere you're turning in the grocery store, there is soda tempting you. Um, uh, but all that to say is that this is a, just an example of how, you know, we're building, you starting with the evidence and then saying, all right, how are we going to take this? How can we involve consumers? How can we uh, spread public awareness? How can we reach out to corporations and pressure them to make changes based on this evidence to, again, make healthier choices easier? Sarah, I need to take a short break, but I want to talk about this some more, especially with the holidays coming up. Uh, can you stick around for a few minutes? I'd love to. Great. My guest is Sarah John. She is a senior policy scientist at the Center for Science in the Public Interest. And we're going to talk some more with Sarah after we let our broadcast partners squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. We'll be right back. 
Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place 
with magical charms indoors 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 take it away hi this is deb cherry genesee county treasurer and you're listening to the tom sumner radio show and welcome back everybody we continue our conversation about uh uh the upcoming holidays and what that means for uh, consumers heading to the supermarkets this holiday season. And I'm talking with senior policy scientist at the Center for Science in the Public Interest, Sarah John. Sarah, welcome back. Thanks for sticking around. Sorry to make you sit through all that. No problem, Tom. Just happy to be here. Um, During the last segment, Sarah, we were talking a little bit about how people's uh, the way people shop is is changing a little bit because of the the pandemic but i also mentioned uh, in passing that inflation and supply chain shortages is going to impact this holiday season and i've seen all these media reports that are saying you know your supermarkets might be running out of certain items so you might want to get out there early and i thought that seems like the dumbest advice i ever heard <laughs> it sounds it sounds like Let's let's make sure they run out sooner. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, you know, you're not wrong. Um, Thanksgiving is going to cost a little bit more this year. Um, from what I've read, uh, it seems to be about a 15% increase from last year, and that's about $6 additionally for a meal for 10 um, And as you mentioned, this cost comes from a lot of disruptions to the current economy and supply chains that have been building up um, over the past 20 months. So there's just inflationary pressure throughout the economy. There's difficulty in predicting demand during the pandemic um, and just broadly high global demand for food and particularly meat. So, you know, one of the items that you can expect to especially cost more this holiday season is is the turkey. Yeah, I've actually heard that there's going to be a shortage of uh, smaller turkeys. I can at least speak from personal experience um, as a mom and know that when I go to the grocery store last Thanksgiving that uh, I think I was only left with turkeys that were far too large um, for for my little family. Uh, So, you know, potentially one reason to to shop ahead of time. But as you said, as as we've seen with the runs on food and things during COVID, um, that that advice can just spur and create create a larger problem. And so, um, you know, one thing that I would just mention is that uh, just also keeping in mind food safety as you're shopping for um, potentially a larger bird or a larger turkey and making sure that you're taking all the proper tips to handle that correctly and also deal with leftovers. Let me, let me ask this. What are the things that are likely to run short? And I'm not trying to put you on the spot, Sarah, um, but... Do you have a sense for whether those things are going to tend to be the healthier food options or uh, will it be the, the, you know, high demand junk food that, you know, that we get a lot of times when we're celebrating soda and chips? Right. Right. I can imagine that some of the Thanksgiving staples, and at least based on my understanding of supply chain pressures, especially maybe some of those meat items like turkey or ham, um, you know, might be more likely to run out. But I also wanted to take the opportunity just to focus on the first point you mentioned, just thinking through what are some of these healthier holiday options. Um, And I think there's a lot of good news there because a lot of the traditional Thanksgiving meal um, 
items that we consider uh, are quite healthy. So, for example, turkey is healthier than beef or pork, which have more cholesterol, um, which can raise saturated fat. Um, people often serve sweet potatoes. That's personally my favorite side on Thanksgiving, um, which are more nutrient-rich than or, uh, ordinary white potatoes. Of course, though, um, you know, trying to hold those sugary toppings like marshmallows does make it healthier. Um, and then even the traditional pumpkin pie is more nutritious than most other pies. And all this to be said, you know, you're talking about things running out. Maybe some of these pre-prepared items might be running out. But on the flip side, uh, cooking from scratch is usually way healthier than buying some of these prepared items or than eating out because, you know, we're controlling how much salt, sugar, and fat that we're putting into these items. And so, uh, you know, we're not just optimizing on what's going to be the most delicious, but as we're cooking or baking, thinking about what's healthy for our family. So um, also great that the traditional Thanksgiving meal ha has usually some more home-cooked components. Well, it, you know, when you talk about home cooking being healthier, I, I'm not sure that's the case when I cook. Um, <laughs> I, I, I look at season to taste the same way I'd look at license to kill. <laughs> Oh boy! <laughs> um, I, I, I myself have a little bit of a salt tooth, but uh, you know, try try to cook it with less salt, and then you know, add back add back for my own taste as needed. <laughs> and and that's actually pretty good advice. But one of the things that that I'm wondering is if during some of these um, supply chain shortages and and inflation, if this isn't a good time. Uh, for people to think about redesigning their menus a little bit to be more healthy and that maybe those things would be a little more accessible. That's a great point. You know, um, I'd say there's some broader tips that uh, I try to keep in mind as a, you know, as, as an expert in nutrition um, and a mom try to keep in mind at my own dinner table that would be uh, applicable to Thanksgiving. So something like make half your plates, half your plate fruits and veggies. So maybe, um, you know, swapping out some of those white mashed potatoes for a salad this year. You know, there's a lot of ways to bring in those great holiday flavors by adding things like pomegranates and persimmons or apples or even Brussels sprouts, you know, things that are in season and nutrient rich um, that you would still hopefully be able to find at the supermarket and also can improve the health uh, the healthfulness of the plate that you're serving to your friends and family. You know, I, I was so tempted as a joke this year to, to have a um, Charlie Brown Thanksgiving with uh, toast and popcorn and pretzel sticks. Um, but Not it, quite, but that doesn't quite bring across the image of eating the rainbow, does it? <laughs> not exactly, no. Um, but what's, what's interesting is the idea of trying to alter the plate a little bit because Thanksgiving dinner and a lot of holiday meals have certain things that are just sort of expected. And with Thanksgiving, at least in my Midwest mind, it's turkey and dressing and potatoes with gravy over all of it um, and then some other stuff. <laughs> and what you're suggesting is that maybe we back down a little bit on, on the starchy part of the meal and, and include 
the other stuff a little more. Yeah, and some of, as I mentioned, some of the traditional um, Thanksgiving sides are quite healthy. So you have your sweet potatoes, um, you know, the, your cranberry relish. Uh, if you're making that from scratch, you can add some orange to that, um, really up the vitamin C and antioxidants. You could always make a green salad that includes citrus. We actually have some really delicious recipes on our website at nutritionaction.com that um, just can provide some uh, some inspiration for creating healthier healthier sides. And again, it all starts at the grocery store. So you know, when before you go, making looking up recipes, being intentional, and making that list ahead of time that can really help you to be healthier at the grocery store and, and have a healthier basket anytime you go grocery shopping, but also, of course, at the holidays. So just like we say, make half your plate fruits and vegetables, that half your cart should be fruits and vegetables too. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's, that's another way uh, just to kind of be intentional, be mindful about what you're bringing into the house because um, that's obviously what's going to end up on your plate. I I have to ask because I I'm 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 not a fan of cranberries and so I'm I'm not a big cranberry sauce person and I've been at so many Thanksgiving meals where um where there was this canned gelatinous cranberry oh. <laughs> substance that that when set out on a plate still retained the shape of the can with the ridges and everything. I was going to say I, I from early childhood I can see that glob <laughs> of of dark pink just kind of vibrating there yeah. But but the but the serious question is is that still a healthy choice? I mean, obviously, something, you know, homemade, you know, a, a cranberry sauce of, of some kind that was homemade, a, an old family recipe or something is probably better. But is it still healthier than some of the things that we might put out? Yeah, and again, it all comes down to what's, what's in your recipe. So um, while I wouldn't personally recommend or professionally recommend, uh, you know, the canned gelatinous, <laughs> uh, cranberry sauce, um, uh, you know, by simply just taking a bag of fresh or frozen cranberries, an orange, and just a small amount, maybe like a quarter cup of sugar, you can throw that into a food processor for a no-cook relish, or you can simmer that on your stove, have those delicious fall scents uh, running through your house, and that's, I'd say, overall a, a relatively healthy side dish, um, especially when you're comparing it to the alternative. And... Um what about options to the typical Thanksgiving meal? Or or are you suggesting that the typical traditional Thanksgiving meal is fairly healthy on its own? Or is is this something we should look to do, maybe create new traditions? Yeah, so again, I'd say there's some, some healthy swaps that we can make. Um, so for example, I mentioned uh, something that we started doing at, at my for my family over the past few years is adding a, a healthy salad. So getting those um, nice greens out on the table, um, you know, nice full of fiber, fill you up, um, but also really nutrient dense. Um, you could also replace the typical mashed potatoes, maybe with a, you know, a vegetable mash. So you could do maybe some squash instead. Um, again, something that's a, a, a healthier a healthier alternative. I'd also be remiss if I didn't mention um, 
portion control, as I think a lot of the um, place that we get in trouble over the holidays is the sheer amount that we eat. And so, you know, eating slowly, enjoying the conversation at the dinner table, <laughs> um, maybe even going for a walk after that large meal, um, getting some physical activity and um, all these things can kind of help round out. But don't take away, you know, from, from I say, the holiday traditions that, you know, are so important, I know, to me and to so many Americans. I, I don't know. I, I don't typically think of portion control and pleasant conversation in the same breath as Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess it depends. I guess it depends who's at your table, huh? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, well, that's that's the joke anyway. The truth is, I think, <laughs> I think most American families genuinely enjoy getting together. And this year, especially because so many people had to try to Zoom Thanksgiving last year, and a lot more families will be able to gather at their tables this year, which I think is... I know is, that's the case for us, so I'm very thankful for that. Yeah, I, I, I think it's going to make uh, this Thanksgiving a little bit special for that Completely reason. Completely agree. Um, and... Uh, now, you said pumpkin pie was a better option than some of the other pies. And I know there are a lot of people who like, you know, apple pie and pecan pie and, you know, some of these other things. But does it completely ruin it if you completely bury your slice of pie in whipped cream? <laughs> I would say, you know, put the whipped cream on the side. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, healthier swap that you can make. It might not taste as good. But even just a small dollop of, you know, uh, a Greek yogurt could even make, uh, have a similar taste profile, mouthfeel, but still, um, but it's a nice, healthier, low-fat dairy alternative. Where is the best place for people to get information, not just at Thanksgiving or during the holidays, but about, um, about, supermarkets and and healthy options and and how to navigate supermarkets because they are businesses they do have things placed to make you buy things that maybe weren't on your list and and all of that where where are some good places for people to get information and to make themselves a little better uh, informed and prepared definitely well um i can say that Center for Science and the Public Interest, we have our new Nutrition Action Health Letter that you can subscribe to that covers all of these topics and more from healthy recipes to healthier lifestyle choices, including how to shop healthier. So um, you can check that out at nutritionaction.com. Uh, you can also, our broader website is cspinet.org. And if you just uh, on the website search Soda Isle, you can check out our Keep Soda in the Soda Isle campaign. Um, you know, I would say that not only can customers make some of those try to make some of those healthier choices in the stores, they can also be a part of the change that we're trying to create. And so, um, you know, they can sign our, join thousands of Americans who have already signed our petition and go onto our website and sign the petition to keep soda in the soda aisle. They can talk to their local grocery store manager about keeping soda in the soda aisle um, or even be a part of the change that we're trying to institute at the local level, um, trying to pass local ordinances that would keep soda in the soda aisle. Um, and so we, we really do recommend all of that. In fact, CSPI was just uh, part of the effort for the first healthy checkout policy that passed in Berkeley uh, just this fall. 
that prevents um, stores from stocking sodas and candy in the checkout lanes, so where more, uh, many a high percentage of impulse purchases take place. Um, so we also, in addition to doing some of these smart practices like we talked about earlier of making a list and coming in and being prepared, focusing on those sections of the grocery store where we know those healthier items are, like the produce section, uh, like the uh, dairy section where there's all sorts of low-fat dairies. Um, even, some of the, even some of the center aisles have healthy options like whole grains and lean proteins like beans. So, you know, there's, there's treasures all around the grocery store, and it's about coming in with intention. But also, you know, I would, encur I would encourage uh, your listeners to be a part of the change that they're trying to foster, um, and they can do so at their grocery store and in, in their local community, too. I don't know. I'm so terrible about that, Sarah. I go to the grocery store and I have a list in my shirt pocket and I don't even look at it. I go up and down every aisle just grabbing things. <laughs> and then at the end, I check it against the list and see if I, if I happen to get everything that was on it. And, you know, if I'm missing a couple things, I'll go find those. But um, I, I'm, I'm terrible about, you know, sticking to the plan and and I need to do a better job of that going forward um, has uh, CSPI been been tracking the impact on on farmers and farming of of climate change you know um, we take some broader agricultural stances and in general of course you know there's a climate crisis and that's gonna affect our food supply but um, you know, in, in general, uh, not not as much the focus of our work, although we do acknowledge that sustainability um, is, is a huge important factor when it comes to the availability of, of healthy foods. But I did I did want to just um, come back to one point that you mentioned earlier, um, just because again, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring it up because um, yeah. I know we were talking about how to make some healthier choices. Yeah, yeah. And did just want to mention mention to folks about um, also the importance of reading labels. So I know that might not be um, the most exciting practice, but uh, making sure I'm checking out the nutrition facts panels. Um, so uh, as I mentioned, we're working right now on the Food Labeling and Modernization Act. And part of that, um, it was, it should it pass, would be to create a more consistent front of pack label that would make it really easier um, in an eye-catching way for customers and consumers to know which products are healthier. Unfortunately, that's still not the case, and so it really does mean, you know, picking up that can of green beans, turning it around, making sure, okay, yes, this is the low-sodium option. Um, and so just, again, have a healthy dose of skepticism. Um, it's something that I don't have to be told because that's kind of my, uh, my natural state, but, you know, if it says something like made with real fruit or, um, you know, it's that doesn't necessarily mean it's a fruit or vegetable, right? Um, a juice drink is not 100% fruit juice. And so just really being aware, I think, um, and, and taking advantage of what uh, our laws currently require for packaged foods to, to, con to show, um, I think that's a great way for consumers to make sure they're making those healthier choices as well. I also just want to mention, because um, this is a part of the Nutrition Facts Panel update that CSPI really push forward is there's now an added sugar line on the nutrition facts panel. You can see um, not just total sugar, some of those things, especially fruit, fruit products, um, fruits, 
you know, there's sugars naturally occurring in them, but also checking to see if there's any added sugars that food manufacturers are adding in or beverage manufacturers. Are the um, labels, again, I can't... Are, okay, the labels per, are the labels pretty dependable? Yes. So these are all regulated under um, the Nutrition Labeling Education Act that passed um, uh, decades ago. And so we can we know um, their food manufacturers are required by law for all packaged foods to have that on there. As I mentioned earlier, um, it's a little bit of the Wild West right now in the online food environment, but CSCI is working diligently to make sure that all that information is accessible for customers as well. And so we hope to really make advances in that space um, you know, in the coming months and years. Um, but yes, the Nutrition Facts panel um, is, uh, is, is reliable. Um, again, the front of package, it's not regulated in the same way. And so that's why really turning it over, uh, looking at the product, looking at the Nutrition Facts panel um, is important. Although we do know there are some things that we could just blanket statements say. So for example, just bypassing sugary drinks. So really um, all sodas, uh, sugar-sweetened beverages, we know they're empty calories. We know that when people drink them um, that they actually don't uh, displace any food calories. So those are just a total increase in those calories. Um, and, and so uh, and there's nothing, there's nothing uh, no helpful nutrients in those drinks either. And we know that sugary drinks are the greatest source of added sugar in American diets. Uh, and we know that this increase in sugar can, re re can lead to diseases like diabetes and heart disease. Um, and so with that in mind, you know, that's really why we have focused on this Keep Soda in the Soda Isle campaign, why we're really focusing on sugary drinks, uh, just because, again, uh, there is no nutri nutritional benefit from sodas, um, and we know that they lead to these worse health outcomes. So no need to read, read the Nutrition Facts panels on those sodas. Just take them out of your diet and take them out of your shopping cart. Well, Sarah, thanks so much for spending this time with me and, and sharing uh, your expertise and, and the work of uh, CSPI with me and the listeners this morning. And um, uh, I, I hope we get a chance to talk again. Um, happy Thanksgiving and uh, happy holidays and keep up the good work. Thanks so much, Tom. It was wonderful to talk to you today. Have a great Thanksgiving. All right. Take care. Again, that was uh, Sarah John. She is Senior Policy Scientist at the Center for Science in the Public Interest. And uh, we're going to take a uh, short break now. We're going to, um, well, if you're listening to us on WFOV 92.1 LPFM, Our Voices Radio in Flint, they are a broadcast service of the Flint Odyssey House Spectacle Productions and my good friend Paul Herring. We're going to let them squeeze a few words in or do whatever they do when we go to break. If you're streaming us at TomSumnerProgram.com, we have some messages as well. And then uh, coming up next hour, we're going to talk with, um, oh, who do we have? Uh, Andrea Press and Francesca Tripodi uh, about their new book, Media Ready Feminism and Everyday Sexism, How U.S. Audiences Create Meaning across platforms so be sure and stay tuned for that and at tomorrow of course is wednesday and uh 
Even, even though it's Thanksgiving Eve, we will have our regular installment of Armchair Politics. Jan Worth Nelson from East Village Magazine will be joining our roundtable regulars, Paul Rosicki and Henry Hatter, for our weekly commentary and analysis about local, state, and national news from the world of politics and current events. So be sure and join us uh, again tomorrow. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination? A COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just, um, attorney general stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen... We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. 
Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. Food isn't that much easier now, though. See people in the supermarket just struggling, reading things, looking around. Everyone's all upset in the supermarket. What do I eat? What am I supposed to eat? Look at the protein, the carbohydrate. You know, the fat content. <laughs> People just see fat content. Fat content. It has fat. There's fat in it. It's going to be in me. People just going up to people. You, you look okay. What are you eating? Maybe I'll eat that. <laughs> the whole supermarket is designed to break down your sense of having any kind of life outside the supermarket. It's like a casino. You know, there's no windows, no clocks, no easily accessible exits. You ever not buy anything in the supermarket and try and get out of there? There's no way out. They, you can't get out. People walk up to the supermarket, they really have a sense of purpose, don't they? They're walking down there, they go, all right, I'm gonna get this, I'm gonna get that, I'm gonna pay for it, I'm gonna get out of here and get back to my real life. You see that same person 10 minutes later just... Why did I come up this aisle anyway? This is a different aisle than I've ever been in before. Always noticing something new. Oh, they got them in mesquite flavor now. What is mesquite? Wonder if it's made from mosquitoes. There's so many subtle insults in a lot of these products. What the hell is chicken of the sea tuna? There's no chickens in the sea. What do they think, they're afraid to tell us it's a fish? Afraid we won't understand? Just put chicken on the can. They'll think it's chicken that lives in the sea. I don't want any chickens that live in the sea. Chickens on the land, fish in the sea. Don't put chickens in the sea. That Oscar Mayer section is creepy too. This guy's inventing meat. There's no olive loaf animal as far as I know. I've never seen a pig with little pimentos in the side. And that other one, head cheese, whoa! Oh, I don't think so. I've always felt the words head and cheese should never be that close together for any reason. Produce is tricky, too. I don't know what's the deal with the produce. I mean, every, you're supposed to know. So you have to just fake it, you know. Yeah, that's a good one. Glad I found that one. Cantaloupes, I'm rolling them down the aisle, you know. 
See the way that's fading left? That one's not ready. I'm not gonna get that one. Very impressed with that seedless watermelon development. That was quite an accomplishment. Seedless watermelon. They did it. It's done. We have it now. What are they planting to grow the seedless watermelon, I wonder? Water? I mean, it's gotta be something. They haven't got the melons humping now, have they? And what kind of scientists do this kind of work anyway? You know, other scientists working on AIDS, cancer, heart disease, these guys are going, no, I wanna focus more on melon. I think that's the important area. Sure, thousands are dying needlessly, but this, that's gotta stop. And you ever try and pick up a wet one off the floor? It's almost impossible. <laughs> Milk is a big problem for people in the supermarket. They're never quite sure if they have it, if they need it. They bury it way in the back in the supermarket. You gotta find it, you gotta hack your way through all the displays. Well, yeah, there it is. There's the milk. Do we have any milk? People are never really sure if they have milk. You think you have milk, we might have milk. I know there's a carton in there. I don't know how much is in there. Well, what should we do? Because you want to be sure. There's nothing worse than thinking you have milk and not having it. You know, you got the bowl set up, the cereal, the spoon, the napkin, the TV, the newspaper, everything's ready to go. You go to lift up the carton and it's too light. Ah! Oh no! Too light. Or sometimes you think you need milk. Hey, we better pick up some milk. Like many of you are thinking right now. You know, he's right. Maybe we should pick up some milk. <laughs> so you'll pick up some milk on the way home. And then you'll discover you already had milk. And now you got way too much milk. That's no good either. Now it's a race against the clock with the expiration date. <laughs> that freaky thing. Now you're eating giant punch bowls of cereal, three meals a day. You're washing your face with milk. Bringing cats in from all over the neighborhood. Hurry up and drink it! Come on, it's almost time! How do they know that that is the definite exact day? You know, they don't say like it's in the vicinity, give or take, roughly. They brand it right into the side of the car and then they, that's your goddamn day right there. Oh, don't screw with us. We know what day is the final day. And then it is so old. You ever have milk the day after the day? Scares the hell out of you, doesn't it? The spoon is trembling as it comes out of the bowl. It's after the day, I don't know what the hell I'm doing here. I don't know why I'm doing this. I smelled it, you smell it. What is it supposed to smell like? I never smelled milk. Maybe the cows tip them off when they're milking them. July 3rd. <laughs> so I go to that checkout line. I really appreciate the rubber divider sticks that are available on checkout lines. I think this is a nice little supermarket feature. So you want your items and you want a little property there too. So you I don't want other people's items fraternizing with my carefully selected items. 
put your sticks down. <laughs> There's two ways to use the rubber divider stick. You can put it on the conveyor belt, or you can hold it there in your hand. It also works like that. Just go, excuse me, those potato chips are getting a little close to my box of donuts over there. <laughs> See that corner of that bag kind of curling up against the side of the box? I'm a little worried about that. <laughs> you paying attention to me? So there was a young lady in front of me the other day. Her total was $3. She chose to pay by the use of the check. <laughs> what is with the chicks and the checks? Women are using way more checks than men. Are you aware of this, guys? Outside of, I think, bills, men write like two, three checks a month. Women go through like a book a day. <laughs> and you know how you are when you're on the supermarket line anyway. You see the person in front of you pull out a check and you... But if it is a woman in front of you that's writing out the check, you will not be waiting long, because women write out so many checks, they are so fluent in the procedures of checking and check writing, it takes them two seconds and they're out of there. It's the one thing in their purse they can find immediately. It's the checkbook. The most difficult thing for women to find in their purse is keys. They have no idea where the keys are. Sometimes they have to dump it out, rake through it. The checkbook, they got that. That comes out of a holster. Who do I make it out to? Here's my ID. See you later. You don't see men doing that. Men are totally intimidated by the check. To a man, a check is like a note from your mother that, that says, I don't have any money, but if you contact these people, they'll stick up for me. I gave my money to these people here. And then they gave me these. Is that worth anything at all? I put my name on it and the amount of money that I wish I had. You gotta beg this guy to trust you. And even if he does trust you, how much do you trust him in return? Not very much. Because when you write out the dollar amount on the check, you always put that long line all the way down. So he can't write in and $100 million too. I think if you don't finish the line, you have to pay that money. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. Two or three.
Zanjic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. <laughs> 